0: Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the sun and the moon. Uh, this week, it's going to be just Alex and I talking about cation exchange capacity. The very yes. important topic.
1: I am super excited about this. Um, when I was doing the living soil oh. class tour, I kind of got into it a little bit with people just understanding, like, when you get your soil test, what the CEC means, what that even entails. And you know, it's funny because a lot of people don't think about chemistry really when they're thinking about soil balancing, but that is what, I mean, the world is, right? It's chemistry. That's how things, it, molecules are exchanging. That's how we eat. That's how we consume nutrients. The same thing with plants. And so understanding the CEC is going to give everyone a better, more rounded, um, you know, background on it. So exciting.
0: Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, a lot of the time I feel like people, you know, when they hear living soil, uh, they think a lot about biology, which is super important um, in living soil, of course. But but um, living soil is also like a perpetual chemical reaction um, between all sorts of different um, elements at play, like within biology, um, within chemistry, within root exudates, carbohydrates, amino acids, enzymes. It's all just like this big perpetual chemical reaction caused by all these different factors, right? Um, and so cation exchange capacity is, you know, kind of a bit about that, a bit about the chemistry aspect of it, about the cation exchange sites within soil that hold on to our cations, which are like our nutrient sources, our ions. So these cation exchange sites, they hold on to these ions, um, and that's what uh, holds the nutrients. So the higher your cation exchange capacity, the more nutrients your soil can hold, but also the more nutrients you have to add to your soil to reach a certain parts per million of that element um, to saturate the cation exchange sites. Um,
1: I think we should start here and tell people explain what we're talking about, even with an ion, because you and I, you know, we understand that. But let's say... So every atom has, right, a proton, a neutron, and it has electrons. And so when we are talking about ions, we're talking about anions and cations, which are going to exchange these things called valence electrons. So electrons spin around that center of your atom, and the outer layer is going to have like one or two electrons that will easily transfer and create an ionic bond with other atoms. And so this is where we get salts, where we're getting like a positive and a negative that are coming together, that cation, that anion, and forming an ionic bond. And so when we have a high CEC, we're able to form those bonds with our organic matter, with like, you know, peat moss, uh, biochar, humic acid, clay, because clay has a negative charge to it. So it's anything that has a little bit of a negative charge to hold on to some of those cations like iron and calcium. um, And they're able to exchange with the plant, right? So just a little bit of background for anybody who was wondering what the hell we're talking about of ions. That is what we are talking about. Very important. Yeah.
0: All right. So there's, there's a ton to talk about with cation exchange capacity, and it, and it all kind of surrounds uh, like soil building, right? I um, mean, nutrient balancing, Albrecht's uh, soil balancing theory, which is basing certain elements off of the cation exchange capacity to reach a percentage of the cation exchange capacity so that they can react correctly with each other for maximum nutrient uptake. Um, <clears throat> a lot of those, those ratios are different between different elements, um, most importantly, the one that's that's of, of big importance to everyone is going to be calcium, um, which is sixty to seventy percent of the cation exchange capacity. Um, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe we should back up a little bit. Let's talk about what influences cation exchange capacity. Um, well,
1: and first of all, the Albrecht method—you keep dropping it in there—and so I have always thought of soil balancing and nutrient balancing in because I like to see the world through chemistry. And so my mind is always going to, oh, what kinds of cations and anions are these nutrients? But I didn't, like, I didn't know that the Albrecht method was derived off of balancing these cations and anions. I am not familiar with Albrecht method, like studying this. So um, can you explain just what the hell the Albrecht, who is this guy? What is this method?
0: So this was like, so he's this old guy, he's really <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure he's passed away now. Um, but this was like back in the thirties, late twenties, early thirties um, when like the dust bowl was kind of happening and, and he was researching these different techniques of, of um, uh, balancing like soil nutrient levels and fields. Right. Um, and he was using, you know, natural organic inputs to do his research. Um, it all kind of got like pushed to the side when uh, the military industrial complex had like a surplus of, of ammonium nitrate, and they realized that they could use that to grow plants. Um, and it kind of has hasn't really gotten a lot of attention for a long, long period of time. Um, in living soil, cannabis growers have kind of brought it back into like mainstream um, using it to like balance their soils, which I think is pretty cool that that cannabis has kind of facilitated the the rebirth of this science study. Um, So he was an agronomist, um, you know, a little under 100 years ago, who used this understanding of cation exchange capacity, um, which is the amount of nutrients that can be held within a soil. Um, Based off of the negative charges within the soil, you, you know, you have your peat, which has like a negative charge, or you have your cocoa, which has a negative charge, you have clay that has a negative charge. Um, Humates have a negative charge, or humic acid has a negative charge, Um, fulvic acid actually has a positive charge. Um, All of these things contribute to the cation exchange capacity that you have, the amount of nutrients that can be held within the soil. So the higher that number, the more parts per million of each input you have to add to your soil to saturate those cation exchange sites. the order that you mix your nutrients into your soil also matters because you want to saturate those cation exchange sites with certain elements before you do with others. Um, so, for example, uh, calcium is kind of like the 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 foundation of like all these reactions. It's a, um, it's like the 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 real key one. So, calcium input should always should always be mixed in first, like when you're building a soil, um, and then you can move down to phosphorus, potassium. Magnesium and and um, it doesn't really matter much from there, um, but they all have different ratios that you need to mix them in based on your cation exchange capacity. So calcium, you know, we have sixty percent, sixty to seventy percent of the cation exchange capacity. Magnesium is ten to twenty. Uh, potassium is two to five. Um, then kind of gets a little wishy washy. We we get like one third. The ppm of potassium is what we need in sulfur, or of sulfur, um, and then like equal amounts potassium and phosphorus. While zinc is like one tenth of phosphorus. So all of these elements they bond with each other, they react with each other to become more or less chemically available, right? Um, and so it's chemistry in the soil. It's chemistry in the soil, um, and that's what soil balancing theory is it's using correct proportions of nutrients, um, in relation to each other of, of ions. In relation yeah. To each what other.
1: I, I see a lot of the times, um, with growers, living soil growers, especially, um, all growers really who are using and trying to create their own nutrient schedule, you know, they're not going off of, um, they're just making things up as they go along and what i see is a lot of over like toxicity which then ends up locking out other nutrients because we don't have this balance in our soil we have too much of something that and it's usually uh npk i see most people adding way too much npk and then you get a lockout of some of these micronutrients and so i've always been kind of like okay you my preferred method is definitely native soil because you have it's just earth you know you got a lot it's a lot easier to balance your soil in native soil I find versus building it up from the ground right you're adding everything in there yourself mm-hmm. um but I find that if I go lighter I prefer to do that when I'm building something new and I'm putting my nutrients in and then I adjusting as needed because you can't go back once you add too much in. And so you see this, uh, 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 I think potassium or is it potassium or phosphorus that locks out magnesium and, um, you'll see people see like, oh, a magnesium or manganese lockout and, but they have sufficient manganese and it's like okay well then you can spray and test your plants to see if that's what's going on um with like a magnesium or manganese salt and then if it adjusts and then it goes back you can kind of play around and do different little experiments but once you put that in your soil it's like really hard for you to take that back so like lighter don't more food, more nutrients isn't going to mean you're going to have like a bigger yield or more abundance. Like that's not necessarily true right now. We want to figure out that's why we're talking tonight. We're talking about balancing. We're talking about the different ratios of these different nutrients and how that affects uh, all of that. The CEC affects it. So if you get your soil test back and you're seeing that you have a high CEC, you're going to need to, oh, yay, here we go. Um, you're gonna need to adjust what you're adding and how much. Oh, it disappeared. <laughs> Was that you or Ken? Okay, um, scroll scroll go. down a little. Bit,
0: Ken. Yeah, and and to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, um, I think that there's a lot of like really bad habits um, that have been learned through like synthetic growing, where people are used to adding nutrients every day to their water and watering it every day because they're growing in an inert media um, and they need to provide nutrients with every watering that they have, right? Um, While in living soil, there's a lot of nutrients already, and we kind of need to focus, we primarily focus on making those nutrients available, Um, adding specific ratios to balance those nutrients is part of that system. Biology is another part, enzymes are another part. Uh, amino acids, carbohydrates, <clears throat> all of those things um, are really like the key to making your nutrients available, while we just need to make sure the foundation is there. So so this this chart here, um, this is an article I wrote. You can find it at the link <laughs> uh, provided here, and I'll post it in the comment section. Uh, so this is the ideal values of each um, cation and anion um, with their atomic weights. Um, the atomic weight, Uh, you use the atomic weights as part of the calculation when determining, uh, you know, how many PPMs you're going to get from a specific input um, based off of the percentage of the nutrient within that input. So we can get gypsum. It's not going to be 100% calcium, right? You know, it's usually around like 17%, maybe to 22 or so. you going to save it, huh? Um, I I saw that. And uh, so you'll use that percentages based on the atomic weights. And there's some calculations. It's all explained in this article. It can be a little bit complicated, but um, you use those to come up with the PPM. And then you use that to calculate how much weight of each input that you use to bring it to the appropriate level. Um, And this is is like such a huge part of living soil growing uh, that I think a lot of people overlook. It's really easy to get carried away with pump it with nitrogen, pump it with, you know, in veg, pump it with uh, potassium and phosphorus and flour. Um, and that's just what we do because that's what I did when I grew in, in you know, hydroponic or whatever. That's what the grow guy told me at the hydroponic store. Um, Cause it's like kind of what people have been told about growing cannabis for so long, um, when in living soil, we're kind of dealing with different systems here. Um, and it can be complicated. There's a lot of uh, different elements that come into play, but you set your foundation You get the nutrients that you need in your soil, and then you focus on availability. Um, Sometimes the nutrients that you select, the inputs that you select, take a matter of time to break down, um, and you can have that nutrient available in your soil, and then comes an appropriate time to use like bottled nutrient sources, or I'm sorry, not bottled nutrients, but liquid nutrient sources, um, whether it's your FPJ or your JLF or your FPE, your fermented things, your, your soaked plant matter, um, you can use those things to kind of supplement almost like a band-aid, like they're kind of like a band-aid that like help get you through until some things are made available. Um, but they're not like, you don't want to just use them constantly and like pump with these things. Um, more is not going to mean more pumping your plants with, with, um, one particular input the whole time is going to create a lot of problems, especially if that input, um, catalyzes or Um, feeds biology to multiply drastically, you can have um, interruptions in like the rhizophagy cycle cycle, where, you know, the the roots, they they create exudates that communicate with biology or catalyze biology kind of passively to then make certain nutrients available through the enzymes and the uh, amino acids and carbohydrates that that biology, that specific biology secretes, um, creating like a catalyst that allows for certain nutrients to be uptaken. So pumping things constantly with these different inputs can interrupt that root exudate process, um, which is another reason why you don't want to overuse stuff. You don't want to love your plants to death. Ooh, um, I got a little, a little winded. I'm just ranting. I know.
1: <laughs> Drop the mic.
0: <laughs> but there's my there's my rant about not overusing. Um, liquid nutrient sources and it's really important to pay attention to this stuff pay attention to cation exchange capacity and nutrient balancing theory
1: so increasing your cation exchange capacity for your soil means that you can hold more nutrients in your soil um we can increase that CEC level by incorporating more, um, you know, like you, you reference some things like there's peat moss, clay, um, humic acids, biochar. Um, really it's like about understanding the relationship though of what your CEC is for your medium and then appropriately amending for portions into that soil. So if you have a higher CEC, then your soil medium can handle more nutrients. Um, What would be like a, without doing all of the math of the atomic mass and like calculating that out, which I actually, I did look on um, uh, YouTube and I was trying to find to see if somebody had like a, a calculator and there's a, a group but I freaking had to turn my computer off and lost all my windows and I don't know where the calculator went but but you can just like plug things in and it does calculations for you
0: yeah so there's there's a site that does that it's called SoilAnalyst.org, um or that's one of them I'm sure there's probably a few but um it will help you figure out what to amend your soil with you can't build a soil from scratch with that system um kind of like so like what what you would do is you mix your your you know cation exchange boosting components first right so you mix your whatever whatever inputs or substrates that you're using that increase cation exchange capacity you're gonna mix all that first so like your peat your organic matter like let's say it's you know earthworm castings or compost um Uh, then your humates and you know, if you're using cocoa or whatever, your base, and then obviously your aeration um, and you get that tested, you send that out, that gives you kind of like the foundation, your cation exchange capacity, as well as whatever nutrients are in your organic matter. Um, It'll kind of give you a a very baseline before you add everything else. Um, And this is the process for building like a brand new soil or like amending a native soil, like to bring it to kind of like its full potential. and then you can use a calculator like that, that'll help you. Um, but then that, once you mix it, you need to get it checked again. Um, and then you're going to need to add your trace minerals. Your um, your zinc, your boron, your molybdenum, molybdenum, your... I hate your saying word. that word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your... Um, Malebidin, necessarily uh, uh, uh,
0: Yeah, your copper, your manganese, um, iron, um, sulfur and, and silicon. Um.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, so because like, I, I, I'm getting like bombarded right now with um, messages on my uh, computer and it's really distracting me. I think I'm gonna need to change the chat too cause I'm getting so distracted and I can't stay focused. But I think like, that uh, your d- discord is sounding cause I thought it was mine and I deleted discord off of my computer because I got a message about it. And I was like, oh my God, it's not me. <laughs> oh, I'm it? sorry. I think, yeah. it my, I don't know, it might be you but I'm sorry to interrupt the show like it, this. I was no, like, no,
0: it's me okay. Messages. Okay. Um, and yeah, you were right. I was getting blown up on Discord and my, my Discord <laughs> forever, my Patreon Discord. Which everyone should join, by the way.
1: So yeah, everybody, this is a great time for a plug. We both have Patreons uh, with great poppin' Discords. Obviously, you can hear the Discord blowing up. So if you want to join in, hit the link. Join hers, mine, both, whatever you want. Um, Definitely. Support us support you (laughs) like this content
0: join our join our stuff support us Okay. Um,
1: okay.
0: so sorry about that (laughs) alex and everybody about my discord blown up um okay
1: so cec we're starting now let's just like role play here you know i like a little role playing we are going to build a soil and we i'm i'm gonna go with like the you know like I'm going to do compost, I'm going to do part peat moss, part cocoa coir, I'm going to do homemade vermicompost and hot compost, thermophilic. Um, I'm going to add in some granular humic. So in my understanding, now extrapolate on this, but I like to add as many different humic sources as I can, like for that portion of my soil, like 30%, whatever it's going to be 33 40%, um, or maybe 33 to 20%. But I want it to be like varied because all humic acid molecules are completely different every single one, because essentially it is stabilized, decayed organic matter that comes from all different sources. And so incorporating as many forms of it, like different varying forms, is going to have different cation sites. It's going to have different lengths of the chain of the molecule. It's going to have, do different things for your soil. So like having a granular humate as well as your compost, and then maybe, um, you know, or something some just different forms of it it's like that's just kind of like how i think a little this a little that and trying to keep it varied what are your thoughts
0: i think it's great diversity is is key (laughs) (laughs) we all need diversity um i think it's a great idea um and also like you know uh get some clay in there too you know all your
1: oh yes we're we both love clay everybody you guys oh. if you want to know what to get us for christmas <laughs> clay
2: <laughs> okay i gotta break it on that one and laugh okay clay i'll remember that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no but really people get so hung up and being a native soil like that is my heart and passion is like taking soil outside that has been like beaten and abused and not taken care of and i would get so many people who just say oh i can't grow in it it's clay it's all clay it's us hard pan clay and i'm like dude you have a hidden gem in your clay and it can do so much for you you just need to treat it right learn about it like understand what it likes it's just like any relationship you have in life like if you stomp all over it while it's wet and it's really tiny, it's going to compact and you've got to learn your relationships and do treat it how it wants to be treated. Like, come on, clay is not bad. Clay is great. And w- somebody says, what about the crystals? Yes, we love crystals too. So if you want to send us crystals for Christmas, we also would be happy for crystals. Um, Somebody, speaking of presents, I love presents. Somebody made me this and it's got my logo on it and microorganisms isn't that a thoughtful gift right there there's what some more ideas for you guys great. right <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry back to clay clay is amazing and i like that you incorporate clay into your uh, like potting mix your your medium your your created soil we call it soil it's not really soil but Soil you feel is, me?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talk to people about that all the time. Like, sure, bring in some of your native soil. Try it out. Like, it's full, packed, filled with micronutrients, and it hopefully you got some clay in there. Well, obviously, like most people have a little bit of everything. You know, that's it's like unless you live at the beach and you just <laughs> have sand outside. <laughs> but what kinds? So you're using like wolstonite. Am I saying that right? Uh,
0: Yeah, so, I I have no idea. We'll we'll ask tonight. (laughs) tonight, Yeah, Um, I know what you're talking about, though. Um, So, yeah, like, we'll ask tonight. uh, Zeolite is is technically a clay. I'm using bentonite. Um, Yeah, those are the three.
1: Those Mm. are the three clays that you like, or you're Mm -hmm. playing with. One's in cat litter. One's (laughs) in... (laughs) Yep one is um the liner of ponds so if you guys which you know it's always a good idea if you own land to have some kind of pond if you can and catch your own water and doing that you can instead of get making like a water feature on your land with freaking plastic liner boo clay bentonite clay is really good for lining any kind of water feature um i wonder what like modeling clay is Like what's the scientific modeling, you know, like the artists use
0: like for like pottery.
1: Yeah. I, I don't recommend using that for your soil mix, but I'm curious. I mean, what, what is that? What kind of clay is that? And I'm, I'm just like, really appreciate that. You know, all of the names, not all of, but you know, names of different types of clay. I was like, down to like bentonite. I was like, yeah, I know bentonite, uh, wollastonite, whatever. <laughs> well, like a, dinosaur, doesn't it? a little bit, uh, a maybe. little bit. I don't
0: know, maybe that's something uh, I
1: think of. Somebody dumped a bunch of cat litter into a pile not far from one of their fig trees. It's the biggest one because. It raised the CEC. uh,
0: (laughs) There's porcelain in it? It doesn't really give it doesn't I can't find I can't find an exact
1: and understanding like the geology of your location if you are growing in native soil can be really fun because different types of rocks have different minerals in them. And so you can be like, oh, like, you know you've got your igneous and your volcanic rock but then like basalt and granite have particular mineral compounds versus like andesite or something like you know just like your quartz crystal has you know amethyst has iron in it instead of just a silicate um and then you can get all heady and be like you know knowing all those crystals that you're going to get us you can understand what minerals are in them and (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's just like incorporating a little bit of clay into your, your living soil mix inside is not a bad idea or incorporating a little bit of your native soil. Cause it's going to have some clay, but clay is a really good. Think about this. So we've got clay sand and silt. Those are our three soil textures. and they are just this particle size. And so clay is the finest and smallest of the particle size of soil. And so we have a more availability to that electron. That's why it has a negative charge because it is so small. So it's getting us closer to the parts of the atom. Don't use white clay. That's what Ken says. I don't know why you want to use
2: uh the colored clay has different minerals the white clay has generally already been stripped of everything that's good in it um and that's the recommendation by Leighton morrison
1: okay yeah like white soil is usually leached so that makes sense it doesn't it's not holding on to any mineral minerals and the more you know about the colors of crystals the more you'll know and notice about the color of your soil and be like oh you know like a lot of people i think that the most common it's like red and iron, um, gray is kind of like older. I have a book on my Shopify that I wrote for the living soil class and it is just a small ebook, but it goes through the, all of the different soil colors, soil texture, all about this. So I will drop that and use code welcome 15 for 15% off y'all. <laughs> <clears throat>
0: um- so about clay real quick um clay kind of it counts as your percentage of organic matter in your soil build um
1: interesting
0: so um based off of a research article that i read from um
1: why why does it count as the organic matter when it's mineral
0: i don't know what's the god what's the name of that university anyway Anyway, um, I'm not sure why. Okay. I don't know why, but it does count. Um, you're supposed to use it um, as part of the calculation for your organic matter. Um, and you don't usually want over 20% organic matter. People kind of push it to 30 sometimes. Um, I always stop at 20. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of that university. Anyway, so when you are adding clay um, don't overuse it because it can affect your aeration. Um, there isn't any like exact research on like the appropriate amount of clay to be using in like a soilless media. So,
1: um, are we talking like sprinkling or like like
0: mixing it? Like mixing it. I know, it but
1: like like how much?
0: Like, I mean, I like wouldn't... a
1: gallon of a gallon
0: container. It's like it's, like, keep it to like one or two percent. Okay, you know not
1: like a lot okay one or two percent of your total soil volume would be added in clay and like we said less is more so there are downsides of clay if you don't you know like compaction like she's talking about so the tighter the smaller the particle size the less pore space you can have and so compaction can occur if you aren't treating it right tending to it so like if you have clay, yards, don't freaking walk on it after the rain. Um, if you're putting clay in, like, a lot of people will try to mix clay and sand together. And that can tend to create, like, a cement, almost. So there are things that you need to, like, be wary of with the clay. So somebody says, like, a trace amount, break it up and water it maybe. The clay bog can get real. Yes, yes, I love all these comments. Um, So... I want to see – I'm going to look into this. Um, I have freaking – I'm not doing really living soil in my indoor. I mean, I have one living soil bed not that's like months. a 4 by 8. I know. <laughs> <are you> doing? <laughs> well, it's a modified. I don't think it is because it's 10-gallon pots. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so okay. – it's, that, it's not really mine. That's my husband's room. I have a four by eight living soil bed, and I have a four by four bed, and then I have my outdoor plants. His room is 10-gallon pots, and it's just, we do, te- the soil in that room is being used while it's growing, and then we took all of the soil out and put it into, like, you know, the tote that we bought it in, like that giant tote, and we're going to re-amend it, test it, and I'm going to, now I'm going to put in some clay of, I need to write this down, Z... Zeolite, Zeolite, bentonite,
0: bentonite and
1: volastonite. last tonight Bentonite. I just think of like a bento box, and it makes me hungry.
0: Cornell University. Uh,
1: Cornell University is <laughs> Cornell like... University. Seriously, they have the oldest agricultural research plot in America. They have been testing this uh, field since the 1700s and collecting data from it. So Cornell is a website I love and use. You guys check out. They have so many different, like I pulled my potting mix from Cornell University for building my soilless media. And they have so many different recipes for every single plant you can imagine. Like if you want to get into succulent or tropical plant or whatever, Cornell University is an amazing resource. I was going to sign up for some of their, their non, you know, like not degree classes. Like they just offer some fun classes. It's so fucking expensive. I was like, shit. I just I can learn this on the internet. I can learn this from reading your books, textbooks. I don't need to take a, pay for a class to listen to a teacher I'm not even gonna listen to. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. You, can you can find check a lot of
0: those out. resources for free.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um there's like, you know, unlocked libraries online that you can find like tons of textbooks. I when I was in college, I always tried to find the ebooks that were unlocked free instead of paying. It's such a fucking scheme like to pay $400 for a textbook that you're going to use for a few months for one course and it's like wh- no other books cost that much. Like
0: what? No, it's 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 crazy they're definitely they're just milking other students
1: yeah um, they're trying so, to keep so are, a lock it,
0: on that yeah oh yeah for sure so there are a few other things i want to talk about um and cover um in regards to cation exchange capacity and, Let's and do it uh, soil balancing theory um the first one is when we're using these these inputs when we're using our amendments you know most of them aren't just one thing like they're all just not one thing right so we have like calcium sulfate we have you know, like langbanite is sulfur, potassium, magnesium, um, and they all have different values of those nutrients. Um, those multiple nutrient values need to be considered when balancing overall. So, like if you're if you're low in um, potassium and you want to add langbanite, you're also adding magnesium um, and sulfur, and so you need to keep that in mind when doing your calculations too. Um, is that when you add something, you're not just adding one thing; you're adding two or three or four um Mm -hmm. and including trace minerals too like if you're using kelp um you know there's a lot of trace minerals in there also and if you add too much um uh if you add too much like of a trace mineral uh like manganese you're gonna have manganese toxicity and you're gonna deal with huge problems and it's almost impossible to get those trace minerals out of your soil Um, And this is one of the reasons why living soil can be really complicated and why some people get really frustrated with it. Um, So this whole system is super crucial to understand and to utilize um, because you can have an overabundance of one nutrient that creates what looks like a deficiency of another. And then you start chasing that deficiency that it looks like your plant is having when your problem is that you already, you have enough of that input and your issue is that you have too much of some, some other input that antagonizes that
1: that that element oh yeah i see that all the time in the like plant problems people post their pictures is this a deficiency and i'm like that's It's a a deficiency, but it's a toxicity. And I kind of think of it a lot like Western medicine versus like Eastern, like you're chasing and trying to treat the symptom rather than looking at the root cause. And we want to go back and look at the root cause of what is causing that deficiency. It is most often a toxicity. Like I can't tell you enough. Overwatering, underwatering and toxicities is like the biggest issue I see people asking me what's wrong with my plant.
0: And that's, that's a great point um, because the, uh, the, abil- the ability for these inputs to solubilize um, affects a lot of, is affected a lot by the moisture content of the soil. And so at times people will let their soil dry out and then it'll look like they have a deficiency because that element or that compound that your plant needed is no longer soluble. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And you start seeing these deficiencies and then people start pumping with more nutrients and then you're just throwing your soil out of whack even more. Um, which is why it's super crucial to keep a consistent moisture uh, in your soil at all times.
1: Yeah, I, this is how the I like show. to go for 50% water, 50% oxygen It's like the average is what I, you know, try to maintain and not let it really drop below 30, 20% um, moisture level ever. I mean, and sometimes I forget something, what, you know. My trowel are,
0: are you using to determine that the percentage of moisture? Your finger? Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 my hands, my fingers. I think that um if I hold my soil, I'll put my finger in I mean, I've used uh, tensiometers, I've used soil moisture meters, and I just have watered a lot of freaking plants and I will just feel it. And I will be like, okay, um, it should feel like a wrung out sponge. It should not be dripping wet, but it should be moist. I should be able to feel this. I shouldn't, it shouldn't look and feel like you need to get your finger in there though. You can't be just like, oh, scratching the surface, like go down and go on different spots of your soil. I'm just a you know, I, I find that my finger after using moisture meters and using, I I can kind of, you know, and i know what I'm watering and what you're also, if you're outside, you need to play into what's the humidity, what's the temperature. Like there's so many different factors at play here. And then my indoor, I got that blue mat system set up with that tensiometer. So I don't got to mess with nothing.
0: That's cool. Um, yeah. So that like, uh, like field capacity, You know how to like check field capacity?
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. So um, just like Alex was saying, uh, you don't want it, you know, dripping with moisture. Um, What people used in the past, you know, to determine whether or not there's enough moisture is is, uh, you just grab the soil, you just give it a really good squeeze. um, And you just want like a (laughs) drop of water to come out of it, like a drop or two of water. Um, And that's field capacity. It's how much water can be held in an entire field. Um, And that term is based off of, like, growing an acreage or whatever. but
1: Back in the day. Back in the (laughs) day. (laughs) Um, I guess I'm still living back in the day, because that's my preferred method now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it it works just fine. Um, uh, You know, I've kind of just, I I have a a tensiometer. It's an aerometer. Um, And it's based off of kilobars. I have another one that's based off of millibars. Um, And I kind of just got an idea of, like, what the soil looks like when it's at that proper moisture for using it for so long um and so i don't use it all the time i'm not constantly moving it around but i do have it sticking in my soil at all times so i can kind of just like check on it um, to see what the moisture is down below but then visually and with my with my finger and with my hand is how i determine whether or not i need to like water the top Um, And also if i see if my mulch is like a little dry i like to just kind of water the mulch and not even the plants
1: I think this is a perfect opportunity for everyone to know that you are your best tool in the garden. No one can replace no tool, what no tool out there. No input, I mean not like fertilizer, but nothing that you can buy can replace your knowledge and your observation. That just being present, looking at your plant, taking notes, whether it's actually like physically taking the notes or mental notes, and just remembering these things, like you are the best tool, you are going to be your best advocate for your garden and keeping it at its prime. The background changed for that. It was like a, oh. Oh.
2: <laughs> That I was special them. gold and I was just giving it to you because that was oh. deserved.
1: Thank you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah,
0: we have to. We have to, intuitively and scientifically, you know, determine what our plants want. So well, we are...
1: have the scientific background, but then like be like try to have a broad understanding of what's going on, and then make these observations and take notes, and then yeah, using your intuition and using what you know from experience. Um, so we've got, we, we've kind of got off on a tangent here, but so we're talking about our moisture level and how it relates into um, the absorption or lack of specific nutrients. I think potassium, particularly nitrogen, there's, so you can consider like the mobility of Um, and you can look this list up, mobility of the specific nutrients in water. And that's really going to be the ones that are going to be affected with that dry back. If it's uh, highly mobile in water and you don't have any water, like that's going to affect um, the uptake. So your CEC, your water level, um, your excess or lack thereof is all going to, and the pH, there's so many things that are going to influence how your plants take up those nutrients even if they're in the soil or they're not or you know what have you so we got to be chemists we got to be geologists we got to be biologists we got to be botanists and all just everything you know humans that's life
0: there's so many different factors and studies within living soil which is like an endless amount of information for us to understand even enzymes and agronomy and it goes on and on entomology
1: oh yeah the bugs i love bugs Bugs. the bugs so um you're building your soil let's go back to our role-playing and you're um you're making your medium and then you're getting it tested and then you're adjusting. So what would be that next step if we wanted to do this mathematically, like exactly, like how, t- talk to me like I'm, like I'm me and, cause I don't know what the next step is <laughs> in the Albrecht method.
0: Um, okay, so we've mixed all of our components that have negative charges that, that um, increase our cation exchange capacity rate, right? um, including our organic matter. Um, in our clay, in our humates, peat, uh, cocoa core, whatever it is. Send that off to go get tested. And then we calculate how much of whatever amendments we want to use, um, you know, select them for whatever reasons. Um, and we mix, uh, we always add our calcium first, right? Um, and then we're going to go to, oh, it's in order here. Always add our calcium first. Um, then we go to phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, and those are like the, the important ones. Um, nitrogen can kind of be added at any time. Uh, once we have like our main macronutrients added, um, a lot of those inputs, they contain micronutrients also. So we send that off to get tested. Um, and then once we get the results back on that, then we add our micro and our trace elements, right? Um,
1: so how much do these soil tests cost? How long does it take? What's the, like, what lab are you using specifically?
0: Um, I use Logan Labs.
1: Okay. That's and like can, industry standard.
0: And depending on what time of year you're doing it, it's going to depend on how quickly you get your soil tests back. Um, If you're trying to get your soil tested, you know, like, come spring, you can wait a month, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I would do all this as early as you can
1: i like ward labs they are not affiliated with cannabis um Mm -hmm. at all i don't think but they i just met the them and they have really great prices i think they're based out of like dakota one of the dakotas maybe or iowa somewhere over there but they have a really comprehensive um list of all different kinds of testing that you can get done and because they aren't like Log everyone knows Logan Labs, and I feel like they they're super quick and they're just like really cheap and like hometown, you know. But
0: Right. Yeah. You can. And I think it's somewhere between like fifty and sixty bucks usually to get okay. like the full test yeah. results done. And you want to get everything tested, all of it. You know, don't skimp on your soil test. Get the whole profile because um, some like don't have nitrogen or don't show your silica or like your. Your trace elements and stuff and all that's super important. Um, an analogy is like a chain, right? Whatever element is your weakest element, um, the one that you don't have enough of, is like the strength of the entire soil because it's all perpetual chemical reaction, uh, and that applies to your trace elements too. And a lot of the time, a lot of these bag soils and stuff, they don't even pay attention to these these trace elements. Um, so make sure that every component of the soil is present
1: every component don't miss
0: every component don't miss a single one it can be a pain in the ass but you got to do it
1: okay so how many times are you getting your soil tested
0: like in a cycle
1: well like yeah in a year in a year yeah well, i don't know like <laughs> it's a like, lot? Like,
0: I usually do like twice a cycle so okay. i'll do it like before i plant plants and you like make sure i have everything in there before i put my plants in um and then like as i'm approaching flower i'll test it again yeah huh. but a lot of the time um you want to do like a sap analysis too um because even though you have your the soil contains the the nutrients that you need your plant not be may not be uptaking them for whatever reason And then that's when like your Band-Aid kind of approaches come in where you need to like use some kind of chelated or micronized input that's gonna be immediately available. Yeah, scoping the biology is super important. Um, But still a lot of the time there can be like chemical imbalances that are not gonna help you or that are gonna prevent super or some nutrients from being uptaken. Um, And a lot of the time there are processes that are really difficult to, to determine it could be with biology, it could be with enzymes, it could be a whole bunch of different things. Um, redox, right? Like redox affects your CEC, um, which is you know mostly contributed by like uh, the root exudates of other plants and stuff. Um, so you can have enough nutrients, still not have it be taken up, up by your plants. So get like a SAP analysis done and show like what exactly is missing in your plant and then you can apply it like through foliar applications or through like a chelated input or a micronized input that kind of bypasses a lot of these processes and just go directly into the plant.
1: We got to have Soilscape Solution on here. That's what he's all about, his business. I don't, do you know Soilscape Solutions? The name sounds um. familiar. I don't remember. I'm sorry, guy. I don't remember your name, but I remember your company. And that's what you want to hear. Everybody wants to hear. So he sent me his foliar escape. Um, I haven't even played with it yet. I feel bad. It's been sitting there. Um, But he does... um, Basically, you can send your soil sample to him and he will have a unique code for you like a qr code and you can go back so it'll track all of your soil testing he'll give you specific um you know consulting on that result of your soil testing and then he has a whole full year application he does soil sap uh, he has soil testing and sap analysis to compare what's missing because you know like phosphorus is one of those that that you can have A a ton in your soil, and it won't show up in your plant because it can, it's really easy to get bound up in the particles of your soil. And so um, you can look at the soil, the sap analysis, I keep saying soil first, sap analysis, and then compare it to your soil testing and see what's missing, what your plant isn't taking up. And then that's going to give you more inference for how to adjust your soil. Like, okay, do you need more biology that's going to create specific enzymes that are going to solubilize it? Um, Do you need to, what do you need to do? Um, But his company, he just... Is an incredibly intelligent man, and he does consulting, but creates like these full-year applications and builds soil for people for commercial growers in NorCal, and it's all based off of this. And it's just he's he's great to talk to. We should definitely have him on here. Okay. Yes, I have never gotten a SAP um, test done. I would love to, but I just haven't done it because I'm lazy. It's just
0: another thing to do, right? Just like another <laughs> thing on the list.
1: I should say, I'm not lazy. I'm just really busy. I, I'm i fulfilled. I have a lot of things. Um, and SAP testing just hasn't gotten on my list. So I should, though. Let's do it. Goals for 2024. Not making it a goal for 2023. <laughs> I have too many things going on the rest of this year. Um... So let's, uh, let's review this. Let's recap what we've discussed. So we've talked about the CEC, what it is, how cations are exchanging with your plant because of the CEC in your soil, how we can increase it. We can increase it with organic matter. We can increase it with clay. We can increase it with peat moss, uh, cocoa coir, biochar, humates. We can then adjust our nutrient content according to the CEC that we have. We need testing done for this, though, and we need to have the knowledge and, or the calculation of the atomic mass of our nutrients that we're trying to deliver according to the soil testing CEC. Then we're testing our, our plant's sap. To compare it back to the test results of our soil after we have amended it according to our soil testing. Um, But that's why you pay people for consulting on the soil testing because they can do the math for you. Most people just don't want to do the math for you or the math themselves because it's complicated mm. and having to find all of those numbers is can be annoying. And so like that's what that Soilscape Solution guy does. Is he does all of the math for you and works off of the Albrecht method, which is this applying of nutrients specific to the CEC of your soil. Okay. Everybody, you all know what CEC is and just a little bit into the Albrecht method of balancing soil. So I'm excited to continue exploring this with you because, you know, like I like I said, I think of things in terms of chemistry. And so for me, I was like, yeah, this is you know, I understand CEC, I understand the chemistry that's going on, but I had never known that there was this guy out during the Great Depression who was doing this, and it's really freaking cool, and I think that we should be celebrating these people more, because everyone deserves to be recognized for the benefits that they are giving the world when it is benefiting the world and our plants. Okay, so what's the next step in learning, like, How to calculate. We should have like a whole another freaking thing on calculating.
0: I've tried to post so I have an article on how to do it. Um it's math. It's a lot of math. Um and if I speak it, it'd be like someone spoke complicated math to you in math class. Um it's kind of easier to just have it.
1: Uh like like a slideshow of like doing it.
0: Here I can. Here, wait, hold on, I forgot I can do this. Oh my God, I have so many things open. Okay, so here we go. Here's some of the math for you. Um, and this is in, in my article. I've tried to post it in the comment section a few times and it won't. Um, uh, Ken, if, if for some reason maybe you can do it, I sent it to the private chat. Um, if you could try to post it so people can can get a look at it. So, so we have like our, um, oh, let me just start from the beginning. So we have like a an amount of, of um, cation exchange sites that we want occupied by a nutrient. So for calcium, an ideal percentage is 70% or... 0.7 in decimal form. So we multiply the CEC value by the desired percentage in decimal form, which is this was just an example. Um, you can see up top, right here, um, just an example of 20 CEC, which is pretty, which is pretty solid. Um, you know, we should be hitting 20 CEC. Um, you know, it's a good number. So anyway, we're multiplying 0.7 by 20. Our CEC, which gives us 14 milliequivalents, which is just a measurement in calculus or in uh, chemistry um, for the amount of a, a chemical, right? And now we're going to convert our milliequivalents to moles. Um, I'm like trying to read it on this screen, which is all small. Oh, let's move over here. Um, so we have moles are milliequivalent over 100 grams. Um, we have our calculation here, so one mole divided by 1,000 milliequivalents, and then two divided by our atomic weight of cations. So the cations, or the atomic weight of cations are listed up here for each um, element. So we take whatever value this is, so calcium, we have 40.08, and we do this multiplication here, which becomes this, and we get this amount of moles. we get this amount of moles, right? Um, now we're going to convert that to grams. So we use our um, uh, calcium, so this 40.08 multiplied by our mole gives us 0. 0.028 grams. We convert that to, this is based on, um, sorry, This is based off of a specific volume of soil. Um, so we have this many grams, and we're kind of gonna convert the grams to parts per million um, by multiplying by a million. So this gives us our parts per million. It was 28,000 parts per million. So we have a CEC of 20, we're aiming for 20% of the cation exchange sites to be occupied by calcium. You're gonna need 28,000 ppms of calcium. Um, and yeah, so it's it's definitely a lot of math. I'm looking for the the volume that I did this calculation for. Okay.
1: One cubic yeah, yard. So it was for
0: one one cubic yard, yeah. Um I kind of don't want to just like read this to y'all, but yeah,
1: <laughs> read you guys read the article, read it, uh-huh. learn. So <sighs> You can, I just wanna say though, like this is amazing to get into this knowledge and become more well-rounded in understanding what you're doing with your living soil, but you can grow dank weed without doing all of this as well. Like you can have a robust, microbially active. It's just like having, knowing that this is there and knowing that you can validify what you are doing with these numbers and it is backing you. So like there's the do it before or do it backwards, like method, you know what I'm saying? Like to check yourself. And I think that there's a lot of people who are growing amazing cannabis. And so don't be like terrified that you can't grow cannabis if you don't want, like some people don't have the money to go get their soil tested. They're just home growers who are growing for themselves because, or a family member who needs medicine. So don't let this intimidate you. Take it a bite at a time and start thinking about maybe just thinking about the CEC of your soil and then thinking about how much you want to add in and then start thinking, then you can start going down that path of the atomic mass of your plants and calculating this all. Or you can say like, hey, like just knowing the percentage of the cation exchange sites that calcium wants 70%, just having that knowledge, like don't get overwhelmed, not a freaking calcium uh, being taken up in CEC sites. So slow pieces, don't get overwhelmed. Um, I think that having, you know, you, but don't be intimidated that you can't grow with, without doing this.
0: Yeah, it's definitely true. But if you want like exact preciseness, (laughs) for
1: instance, like, didn't you run into like, um, and you can do things on paper and then biology and life can change things up for you because didn't you have a problem with your phosphorus that you calculated it to be a certain was it phosphorus oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. right
0: yeah so like i uh i added enough phosphorus based on the calculations um and then i didn't have equal ratios one to one phosphorus to potassium which is what you're supposed to have one to one um parts per million of phosphorus and potassium which i didn't have but i calculated it to be so um I still don't know why that happened, but um, it has something to do with with phosphate, right? Because you're supposed to have equal equal amounts phosphate to potassium. I remember Brandon Rust talked to us about this, um, which was that you needed to have equal amounts phosphate to potassium, and so you can add phosphorus um, and not have enough phosphate. Uh,
1: and so phosphate or anything really with an ATE is just uh, an anion with a specific number of oxygen molecules attached to it. And so it because oxygen is one of those um, molecules that's really easily like changed off. That's like likes to move around. It's a gas, right? Um, we can see that phosphate. Like my 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 understanding with that phosphate would then be uh, more easily available versus a phosphorus, which is what isn't bound to oxygen. So it's not as easily solubilized or available to the plant because then phosphorus can just get tied up. And so maybe you're adding, you know, like your phosphorus you're saying and not the phosphate. So it's not as, you know, you know what I'm kind of getting at here. Right.
0: And so now I'm, I'm, um, I'm supplementing with with uh, micronized calcium phosphate, which is rock phosphate. Um, then I'm watering into my soil to get my phosphate levels up. And I've noticed a big swell in bud development and just overall growth rate.
1: I love Calphos. That's my, my go-to for phosphorus um, amending when I'm doing any uh, phosphorus really. was like, bring that in. Calphos, calcium think. phosphate. Remember
0: how we were talking about micronized um, inputs and how like mm-hmm. they were all expensive and stuff? I f- so I found fifty pounds of calcium micronized calcium phosphate for
1: $70. I think you can get it for $25 in freaking California at my old piece of the valley, market. man. Exactly. I love them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if they, Kalfos, it's like a, they, everyone else charges so much more for it. I found it here locally and they were like double. It, you're saying like, I think they were like $60 for a 50 pound bag. And I look online and it was like twenty two seventy five at my old shop in Grass Valley. And I'm like, why is it so expensive everywhere else? And how can they have it so cheaply?
0: Is it micronized?
1: I believe so, yeah. What's the name of this place? (laughs) Groworganics.com. And I can get you a hookup on pricing. They give me wholesale pricing, girl. But you have to fucking ship it. I actually had them ship me a bunch of things because I have such a good discount and their prices are so ridiculously affordable. Because they're going targeting, like, not weed growers, you know, just regular-ass farmers who aren't making huge, like, margins. I'm,
0: I'm sorry. I'll just step away for a second. Hold on. I'll be, I'll be right back. I'm so sorry.
1: That's okay. Um, I can actually hear my son screaming uh, his head off too. So we probably should wrap this up soon. And maybe we can go through some of the questions in a moment. Uh, yeah, We've got
2: 12 I, questions. I think that's what I
0: heard is your, your son screaming.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. It is my son that is screaming. You can hear him through. I'm sorry. He's like screaming bloody murder for me. And I feel so bad. But okay, let's wrap know, it up. Yeah.
2: Okay, well, we'll just quickly run through a few questions, and then we'll let you get to your son. How's that sound?
1: Thank you. Sorry, guys.
2: Uh, no worries. Uh, I, uh, I have heard there is almost everything needed in all native soil, just a matter of unlocking it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are going to be a wide range of everything. It's just, is it going to be in the amounts that your plant wants? And how is it, what is it contained in? Definitely unlocking it is going to take a lot of knowledge, soil testing, um, and organic matter. That's typically my go-to, like, right away, is, like, bring in as much organic matter as you can. Cover crop, companion prop, companion planting, and biology like biology is going to help you unlock that
2: well without it you can't actually unlock it because it's the biology that does the mining yeah so um native soil
0: is uh usually lacking in nitrogen
1: Yeah. Nitrogen is highly mobile. So if you have a lot of water uh, and you don't have a lot of organic matter, that's what we, we tend to not like, think about agriculture nowadays. We just remove, remove, remove. We don't leave anything left in the crop. We don't leave any biomass. And so we're seeing like very low nitrogen because there isn't freaking anything. We're not putting nitrogen back in. We're always taking it away.
2: Mm Mm-hmm so um can we just uh quickly talk about aeration
0: uh sure i mean i'm not sure exactly uh so was i was I with 40 percent um aeration inputs i like to use um things that are going to stick around for a long time in like living soil and no-till situations like um pumice and cinder um i usually stay away from perlite because it kind of breaks down over time same thing with like rice hulls you have to kind of keep adding them um and I, I I leave my soil undisturbed and so I want to make sure that the aeration stays there for long periods of time and I do mm-hmm. 40% so 20% pumice 20% cinder and of different sizes um although you can definitely use perlite and you can definitely use rice hulls just remember you're gonna have to like replace them
1: I'm not a fan of perlite either because it comes to the top
0: right it floats
1: yeah
0: the okay. pumice will float too
1: I do love rice holes. I'm a huge proponent of rice holes. Um, I do like the lava rock though, that pumice in there. Pumice and rice holes.
2: Okay, so we're talking about showing the chart earlier. Does the the mold bears chart relate to this?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So that chart, it references um, elements that antagonize and synergize with each other it, they they're 100% connected. Um, and calcium is like at the top of it, right? It's like the foundation that reacts with everything else. So yes, 100%. It's a very complicated chart. Um, you should definitely, everyone should definitely take a look at it, um, but it shows how um, inputs will antagonize or synergize creating what looks like deficiencies when there aren't any, that's how that works is based off the information surrounding the Mulder's chart.
2: Cool. And what I'll do, guys, is um, the link to that article that Luna was showing, I'll put it in the description after the show on YouTube. So that's on this channel, guys, for the people that are, are coming to us from uh, the Queen of the Sun uh, Groans channel, you'll have to come to ours or she can add it into, into uh, your site as well.
1: I need to get better at the, the descriptions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll start sending you what, I, what I'm doing and then that should make it a little bit easier. Um, Perfect. How would the volume of the soil affect ECEC or CEC? It doesn't. Okay.
0: You can determine your your CEC from from this much soil.
2: Easy one. Uh, Soil amendments.
0: Um, That's probably, you know, in relation to whatever we were talking about when when Patrick made that comment. Um, I'm not sure what the question is exactly.
2: Well, I think you kind of answered it when you said that basically everything that you can possibly get in there as a micro and a macro nutrient is necessary, whether it's building your plant or it's building the biology that builds your plant, to have the availability of everything, I think is is one of the main keys. Uh, what about some silt from a river? That's a cool idea. Yeah,
1: I mean, silt is a different... Um sand silt and clay so it's a different particle size so it's not going to have as much of a charge as clay
2: okay do you ladies recommend top dressing or pre-loading minerals clay most amendments
1: personally i do top dress i do too yeah mm-hmm. i like to top dress occasionally so
2: mother nature doesn't like uh, bare skin and that uh, top dressing is how she does it in nature
1: it's mm-hmm. mulch too
2: yep daikon radish crimson clover cover crop go for
1: it um cl- clover spider mites are attracted to clover so i usually don't use a ton of clover around like as a companion plant as if i'm inside outside mm-hmm. i don't care i'm like whatever spider mites i got all the good bugs too you guys don't stand a chance but inside if you have any chance of bringing any spider mites they will be attracted to clover
0: i like buckwheat and alyssum
1: me too i think sweet alyssum is one of the best like attractants for pollinators um Uh, Beneficial insects, and then the daikon radish is really good for that compacted clay. It has huge, deep roots that'll just break up everything.
2: Mm -hmm. Better for outside than necessarily for an inside grow.
1: Yeah, well, you're inside. You're not having hard.
2: Or you shouldn't.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they brought in the whole all the clay.
2: Yeah. Um, queen of the sun growing, I seen a while back, you use pride land defense. What did you end up thinking about it?
1: You know, it was just, people send me stuff all the time. And so I just use it and I try it out. It smelled really good, like Indian food. Um, hmm. but I didn't really see a significant like difference with my IPM.
2: Okay. And the last one for Luna. Does Luna run a dispo? She knows her stuff.
0: Uh, No, I don't run a dispensary, but I, I have my farm. <laughs> I have my farm. I've been growing for 14 years, and I kind of just am a huge soil nerd. Um, but I, I call on a farm, and I breed, and I've been growing forever, indoor, outdoor, greenhouse,
2: hemp farms. And follow her on IG, guys.
1: Yes both of us instagram Mm -hmm. youtube and you've got a website and
2: you have discount codes and you do classes uh luna are you doing classes yet it should be
1: (laughs) we should do a class you should i've been hosting with other people like chris trump we should do a fucking uh freaking albrecht like do this get people out there doing it
2: let's do it
1: all right 100 percent
2: Well, that's it, ladies. So um, unless you guys have something more, I'll just let them know who's coming up. Um, Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about?
0: Um, No, just um, I'm posting weekly articles on greenpointseeds.com. Cool. A bunch of really high scientific content stuff. Um, So go check that out.
2: Right on. Queen, Alex?
1: You know, Anything coming up? You know not right now really i mean check seedsman i'm always posting articles on there humboldt seed cool. company um you know follow my instagram youtube and subscribe to the patreon
2: and like uh chad westport saying skunk magazine con- uh, contributor uh i actually have a skunk magazine in front of me here i haven't even actually went through it but i'm sure luna has an article in there and chad i reached out to you you got to come on man so anyway, guys, uh, sorry, go ahead.
0: Nothing. Yeah, I'm writing articles in Skunk Magazine also, and I'm, I'm doing their social media. Um, and if you're interested in collaborating with Skunk Magazine, you can contact me um, on my Instagram, and I'll set you up.
2: Cool, Ooh. cool. So for us, guys, um, we have uh, the OGs on Monday. Hopefully, Tony is, is uh, back on Monday. And then in the afternoon, um, we have... Um, David Agustniak, uh, he's part of the Southwest Fungi Fest. He's going to be coming on, hopefully with his boss, uh, telling us uh, how the Fungi Fest went. And other cool. than that, guys, that's that's it. See you later. Peace Bye. out, everybody.
1: Happy gardening.